Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. I'm Sam Ashurst, I'm a writer, I'm a director, and I'm a podcast person. And I'm Shay Mossifin, I am a VHS distributor and also a podcaster, and I do the Movie Melt podcast and VHS Quest here with Sam. Hey, that's right. And we are together again because Dan Martin is on his regularly scheduled break. Uh, in fact, he's in deepest, darkest Wales filming something I'm, I'm sure is going to be completely horrific. Can't wait to see it. Um, and Dan will be back, not next episode, but the episode after. But before we do that, let's talk about this week's choice, which was Shay's choice. It was. Phantasm. Shay, uh, why did you want to cover Phantasm? Sam, I picked this movie because it scared the shit out of me as a kid. (laughs) It's always been in the back of my mind, no pun intended. And I absolutely love it. And I would love to discuss it with you in greater detail. It's an interesting one for me because Phantasm is one that I know it has like a huge cult following. It's got really diehard fans and their love turned it into a franchise. You know, it's been going for a while. But... This is one that I actually came to very late. I don't have VHS memories of Phantasm. I think I actually saw this one for the first time with Dan at like a pub screening. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah, of a few different films. And in a pub, in a pub with a bunch of people, with a bunch of people chatting and, you know, drinking and all the rest of it. And so I didn't actually connect with it as much on a first time watch. So I was a little bit reticent, but, you know, okay, Shay wants to do this one. We'll do this one. And I'm so glad we did because I have a new appreciation for it, in part because of the movie itself and the the beautiful restoration looks gorgeous, but also because of the extras and the context that I was completely unaware of. I had no idea this was directed by like a 24-year-old. It was the third film of a 24-year-old, which is also incredible. Oh, yeah. His first horror picture, but his third actual film. And yeah, the circumstances of how it was made and and the thought behind it as well really gave it a new appreciation for me. And in many ways, that's what these boutique Blu-rays are all about. They're like, they're not just, you know, mini film schools in the extras. They can also really provide almost poignancy to the creation of these movies made by fans for fans absolutely you're getting everything that you wished you could get from a magazine yes basically in the extras of these incredible blu-rays absolutely yeah absolutely i've never thought of it in the magazine way before but i was a kid that read film magazines and horror magazines literally from cover to cover i read them like books whereas some people would just like look at the articles of the stuff they were interested in I would read every word in those magazines and I listened to every word on these extras. And yeah, this was a really joyful experience. So thank you for choosing it. Um, Could you tell the precious Arrowheads a little bit about the plot of Phantasm? (laughs) Okay, I'll try. So it's about a young man, probably 12, 13, Mm -hmm. named Michael, who's grieving death in his family. Meanwhile, there is a very creepy, tall, scary grandpa kind of guy who works at the mausoleum. And he is harvesting organs from the dead and turning them into zombies, into little little people in hoods. They look like Jawas, but they're not actually Jawas. They were actually filming this and they got the memo at one point that some guy named George Lucas is making some movie called Star Wars and they have characters that look exactly like 
the, yeah, the dwarves. That... That's basically what the plot is, but this film is about more than just the plot, and that's something that I really appreciated on this this viewing. It's about grief, it's about loss, and it's about that kind of weird stage in childhood where you know you're you're coming out of the summer of childhood where you think everyone's invincible and you think your parents are superheroes and this is the age where you start to realize oh shit my parents are just normal people mm-hmm. and oh they're normal people which means that they're mortal yeah. which means that one day they're going to die yeah. oh shit that means one day i'm going to die yeah and it feels like it's really tapping into that eerie atmosphere of that period where you suddenly wake up to the real world even though phantasm takes place in a very surreal nightmare-like world yeah um it does feel like it's talking about really real world stuff right absolutely i think he made this film entirely from the perspective of a child which is pretty brilliant when you understand the way that this unfolds and like all of the scary guys in this movie are characters that a kid would find terrifying. Interesting. Like, not necessarily a seasoned horror fan trying to make a horror film to scare horror buffs. This is a guy, Don Coscarelli, as you mentioned earlier, who has never made a horror film. But he wanted to make horror films because he wanted to scare people. Yes. He knew how to make an audience jump, but he'd never actually done it. Every single setup like brims with exuberance and excitement and you can really feel that he is so stoked to scare his audience. That's that's the key thing that really came across to me in all of these extras, whether it's the modern day interviews or the interview that was filmed like in the seventies at the time of release and in the commentary, Coscarelli really thinks about his audience constantly. That's all he's thinking about when he's making these these films. And, you know, some directors want to distance themselves from the audience. They're like, they'll they'll get what they're given. Whereas he really cares about the audience experience and, and oh, are they going to accept this jump scare? Well, yeah, if I do it early in the film, then, yeah. you know, there'll be something later that will pay it off. And he's thinking in that structural way for the audience experience. And, you know, I think that's one of the many reasons that, this film does have such a a large cult following is because horror fans more than anyone else really sense when a director cares about them yeah and and when a director is one of them as well and that definitely comes across in all of these extras yeah he speaks really highly of stanley kubrick in 2001 a space odyssey and there's very clear parallels oh yeah in the set design but also in structure i think that he, oh. at his young age, he understood film structure. Mm. He was a student of film and he was a lover of film, but he knew just where to smudge the boundary. Like he mm. always could integrate different genres and almost every movie he's done has had a genre bending kind of dynamic mm. where I think he really loves sci-fi and he loves the fantastic and the surreal because everything has a little bit of a, of a sense of the fantastic. It's so unique. There's so many unique elements to the way this film was constructed. For example, when I watched it the first time, I had no idea that the mortuary and the graveyard both were sets. They're not locations. And in the interviews, he talks about how the locations were his starting point, that he thought, oh, it'd be a scary place to set a a horror movie, a mortuary, graveyard, you're good to go. And so often with young filmmakers and indie filmmakers who are making things on a shoestring, they actually look around them 
and say, well, what have I got access to? And, and how can I write a script around what I have access to? But he went around in a completely different direction. Yeah. Completely upside down where he started with the locations and then actually had to turn them into builds. Yeah. Uh, which is incredible. And you wouldn't know watching it that that, that mortuary was uh, was fake. There um, were a few different locations I learned. They built that one out. I thought about our legend episode. Right, <laughs> like yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Massive the scale was. I had no idea that the mausoleum was a soundstage. And he said it was built so solidly it could be like a house. Like right. Like you could climb the walls. But he filmed a lot of different places, which were kind of meant to be the same place. Oh, okay. So there yeah, was yeah. a false graveyard and there was a real graveyard. And oh, cool. So it adds to this almost kind of jilted, nonsensical atmosphere where you're, yeah. it's like a dream state where you're in a dream and you're moving through different environments, but it's kind of the same zone. Yeah. And speaking of dreams, that's one of the reasons I love this movie is he completely revolutionized the way that dream logic is used in cinema. Like, I was trying like hell to figure out if he knew what he was doing or if it was accidental in these these extras. He didn't really talk about it, but he blurs the line between waking reality and nightmare logic with complete intent. And he does it with lighting. He does it with trick shots and mirrors. He does really clever cinematography. There's that great shot where you think that Michael is spinning around and around in a point of view, and then suddenly the camera lands on his terrifying face. It's such a great moment. It's it's a great edit as well as a great shot because we see him spinning around first, and then it cuts to the POV shot of the camera spinning around, and then it lands on him, like you say. Yeah. It's, It's a beautiful piece of filmmaking. What it really shows, too, is that Michael's steering the ship He's not a passive recipient of what's going on, Mm -hmm. like in most dreams. This is more lucid. Right. This is more like he's at the wheel, he's making choices, he's reacting, like he's deciding to jump the fence or to follow Jody around Mm. rather than sitting back as stuff happens. And and he's not really running away. He's almost running toward. Mm. And, you know, he can run faster than the tall man, Mm -hmm. but just, just barely enough. Yeah, definitely. And it's really interesting it being from a child's pov and and the things that they're scared of because who's the the ultimate villain in this movie it's a tall man yeah and like all grown-ups are tall to little kids you yes know? yeah That's... yeah he's the classic scary adult yeah he's a spooky grandpa he's, yeah he's the guy you don't want to piss off he's <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> he's like get off my lawn <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> get off my cemetery lawn <laughs> yeah and and another thing i love about the way this film was constructed was coscarelli used his knowledge of the actors who he'd worked with before to create their characters so it has almost that kind of improv feel where characters are doing quite weird stuff Mm -hmm. but you just know there's a thing that Dan and I used to do whenever we watch a a film and someone did something incongruous like some weird you know yo-yo trick or something we'd point at the screen and shout actor talent because the actor has turned up and said, hey, I can do this. Is there any way of incorporating it into the movie? And this film does feel like (laughs) it's got actor talent written all over it. Oh, it does the guitar stuff. Exactly. I actually met Reggie Bannister in 2001. Oh, wow. I went to a Fangoria. Space Odyssey. (laughs) Right? How random. It was actually (laughs) 2001. Oh, good one. Uh, <laughs> so he he actually had his guitar with him and he oh, was no playing way. at a venue that night and invited me to see him play acoustic guitar with a bunch of people, of course. I love it. But I wasn't quite 21, so I couldn't go. I was still 20. Oh, man. <laughs> 
But yeah, he's an actual guitar player. I knew it. I the guy knew who played it. Jody also was, and they wrote music together yeah. on the it, set. Exactly. Yeah, you can see it. And, you know, Mike was just a nice kid. And yeah, Reggie Bannister was unlike anyone else Coscarelli had ever met. You know, Reggie Bannister is just Reggie Bannister. Yeah. And Angus Scrim, who we really need to talk about, you know, what an incredible presence. He looked to Boris Karloff for inspiration, apparently, but rather than creating a sympathetic monster of the type Karloff was known for, both Don and Angus wanted to go for a more sinister presence. They wanted him to feel like the personification of death. And he certainly achieves that. The character could have felt very silly, but he really is pretty terrifying, isn't he? He is so scary. I found him to be more scary when he was in the town walking around in broad daylight yes. because he really stands out. And yeah, he is that bridge between the more gaunt kind of like horror villain that we think of from the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, even in the early days, like the 20s and the 30s. But he also has this hulking figure, which is so reminiscent of the 80s slasher. Yeah. And he really like he has yellow blood and he throws this sphere around that drains your brain. So he's this combination of classic horror and proto 80s. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And we should talk a little bit about the extras before we move on to recommendations, because there's so much on this set. Uh, loved the commentary. We listened to that together. Lots of different voices and really conversational and natural, very honest commentary. It's uh, uh, one of my favourites I've listened to this year for sure. And uh, yeah, probably my favourite extra. There's a decent Q&A um, at Beyond Fest that's hosted by Joe Lynch. Coscarelli appears and is as sweet as ever. And the whole cast, aside from Agus Grimm, of course, is there. And once everyone settles down, it's actually a really interesting chat. They talk a lot about the remastering process. And, and Lynch asks the generally the right questions to get some fresh answers. But yeah, there's just a little bit of bro energy to it, um, just to warn people about that. Um, but by far my favourite extra, Streets Ahead is the 1979 interview with Don Coscarelli and Angus Scrim. It's a TV interview from the time of the release, and it's just a real treasure. It's almost 30 minutes long, and it's just such a lovely time capsule. It's, it's those two guys and, like, a kind of slightly cheesy host, um, but also laid-back and friendly host. Like, he's not um, cheesy in a modern way. He's just, you know, he's trying to have a joke with them rather than... Um, trying to dominate them if that makes sense yeah he's interacting like a peer exactly he's yeah. interacting like a peer which is kind of uh, yeah anyway he gets great great answers from them both of them oh um, he does he talks about it's wonderful he he asks angus what it was like to watch phantasm and angus said i'm a phantasm super fan <laughs> probably with a ph <laughs> yeah. and that he goes to as many screenings as possible and he loves to hear people scream because to him it was more powerful than a laugh. Yeah. And Hell yeah. I loved that quote. And yeah. Don was talking about casting believable characters again, people who would live next door to you. And you don't really care about the people who look too perfect and they're too different from you. Mm. And he really wanted that realism, which fast forwarding a little bit, Phantasm 2 <laughs> actually was courted by Universal Studios and given $3 million to make Phantasm 2 yeah. because they wanted a tentpole franchise. And they wouldn't let him cast the Michael character with the original actor, but they would let him get away with 
Reggie Bannister. Yeah. 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 And, and he really fought for it too. Yeah. And uh, Reggie, you know, becomes the, the hero of that movie. And yeah. Oh, it's like an action movie. Totally. It's fantastic. He's, he's kind of like almost a Bruce Campbell style character. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that was a great extra. I really liked Reflections of Fear, which was more of like a talking head style interview series, which w- was pretty cool. They talked to the Lady in Lavender. They talked to Michael Baldwin. And there's one other... Um, phantasm actors having a ball where it's more anecdotal they're they're kind of like giving one-liners and quick little anecdotes that maybe last about 30 seconds to a minute and they separate them with an animation of the the ball i think some of these extras are from a laser disc release oh yeah, yeah. no that, i think they're on the commentary they talk about it being released on laser disc so yeah it's it's stuff that if you have owned the laser disc you would have heard before potentially but there's new stuff on here and uh yeah the remaster really is beautiful so huge recommendation to phantasm i didn't expect i was going to be saying that when you uh, chose it i thought oh this uh, this boring nonsense but no it's great <laughs> it's great i was a fool i think that phantasm came out at a pivotal moment i think maybe by accident it was pretty revolutionary in horror like there's a reverence for horror in general by people who seek to break the system and whether Coscarelli knew it or not I think he was laying the ground for surrealism in 80s horror and this is an an era that embraced really gross practical effects and kind of up the ante Mm -hmm. and I just love this bridge this bizarre dreamy little slice of terror that came from Coscarelli's experience growing up in this you know area walking around mausoleums and imagining what's the scariest possible thing that I could run into Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's totally unique there's nothing like it absolutely and and there was nothing like it until it changed the game like you say and that leads us nicely into recommendations and I'm going to go first because my first recommendation is uh, one of the Nightmare on Elm Street films that are absolutely influenced by Phantasm. It's not mentioned often enough, I don't think. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go for Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, which is my favourite of the franchise. But I think it's the closest to Phantasm. It feels more like a series of freaky set pieces than anything else in the franchise so far and it really felt like they were experimenting with how far they could push the the surreal vibe of the early elm street movies with the craziest practical effects they could come up with it's a really turning point um for the franchise and yeah i really could have recommended any elm street movie but like phantasm it combines genres in a different way like there's more dark comedy in this one and this is you know especially compared to the first two uh, and this is the one where freddy really becomes the freddy krueger that we all know the wise cracking sadist he wasn't quite there in the first two movies but comes into his own for dream warriors and yeah as well as the dark comedy it's got intense and serious drama you really feel for the kids and there's even fantasy with a weird dungeons and dragons influence wizard character and so yeah add in great set pieces and some truly insane special effects as i said it has that quality of uh, a waking nightmare that phantasm definitely started as you say so yeah nightmare on elm street 3 dream warriors is my first recommendation based on the film Shay, what have you got to start i agree phantasm inspired a lot of movies i think the beyond Lucio Fulci's The Beyond owes a lot to Phantasm, Dead and Buried, 
but mainly One Dark Night from 1983. This also takes place mostly in a mausoleum, and it blends the horror with supernatural sci-fi where mysterious energy can reanimate the dead. A high schooler played by Meg Tilly is dared to spend the night in a mausoleum as an initiation rite, but she's caught in a maelstrom when a deceased Russian occultist who'd mastered telekinesis locks them all in and literally wakes the dead. It's directed by Tom McLaughlin. He did Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives, one of my favorite ones. And One Dark Night is a slow burn, has surreal, creepy atmosphere centered around childhood fears. And it serves a boatload of fun special effects from very beginning to end. It'd be a great double bill with Phantasm for your Halloween creep list, but put it on first because it might qualify as a family-friendly film with a surprising PG rating. Yeah, heck yeah, yeah, great choice, great choice. And next up from me is one that we've actually covered on VHS Quest, so I'll keep this short and sweet, but Nightlife is essentially Back to the Future meets Phantasm with a plot lifted from an EC comic that's been chewed by a dog. This mortuary-set sex comedy turned horror flick is very unique in a similar way to Phantasm. And the combination of influences and genres means there's really nothing else like nightlife. It's a very, very unique film in every way. The structure, the content, everything. Yeah, it's really weird, but really fun. And it gets better as it goes along with some fantastic gore gags in the final act. And like I say, we've covered it on VHS Quest, so I won't repeat myself other than to say I truly recommend Nightlife. And it has a banging theme tune, uh, just like Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and just like Phantasm. So Nightlife, I recommend it. And a great burn. Oh, my God, that burning scene is so good. Yeah, really good. Incredible. And my last recommendation is Beyond Dream's Door from 1989. It was made by a graduate of Ohio State University's film department. And it was the first movie to be made in collaboration with students from their program. So basically the entire crew was working for school credit rather than money. (laughs) What a dream. And it's surprisingly good. Like Coscarelli, director Jay Wolfel was in his mid-20s and he shot on 16mm and he also used simplistic environments drenched with colored lights and backdrops to create a blurred boundary with reality and the lucid nightmare state. Like Phantasm, the lead suffers from terrifying dreams and enters into a sleep study, which unwittingly sharpens and strengthens his delusions into the flesh and has deadly consequences. His relationship with a non-existent younger brother is also at the center. Pretty Phantasm-like. The effects are more advanced than they should be. There's a really fantastic monster who could have come from the nether realms of Phantasm. Kind of looks like the alien from the alien's deadly spawn. (laughs) And it has a healthy dose of blood and guts. Expect really low budget antics, but it is in a category of its own. It's a little too clean to have the charm of like a DIY heavy metal or punk rock movie, but it's a little too weird to fit into any other mainstream category. Vinegar Syndrome put this out on Blu-ray. And oh, cool. It's really cool looking. Excellent. Excellent choice. All right. Well, that is it for recommendations based on the movie. 
Now let's move on to recommendations based on the past couple of weeks. Obviously, Shay and I watch a heck of a lot of weird stuff of VHS Quest. So if you want a whole bunch of recommendations of stuff on VHS and on Blu-ray, head on over to that. And we just covered Phantasm 2 on the most recent episode. So we talk about that more in depth. Anyway, enough uh, self-promotion, Shay. <laughs> uh, what have you been watching the past couple of weeks? Well, Sam, I rewatched the Devonsville Terror. This is also from 1983. And this is one, it has a very very plain looking cover again kind of like the cover to don't go in the house where it's an amazing movie with kind of a more right you know chill yes yeah 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 <laughs> cover it's directed by uli lomel it's probably his best movie and it is a brooding and psychedelic 80s homage to the hysterical witch films of the 60s and it uses like the threat i put that in quotes <laughs> of female independence as the razor-edged cornerstone of a revenge tale. Cool. So it's got this really brutal opening. This woman is trampled by a pig. She's bound to a wagon wheel. And then she's burned at the stake. And we fast forward to the 20th century, where these three really independent young women arrive in Devonsville. And the descendants of the same flock of repressed puritanical morons uh, get really worked up by these three bad influences who've arrived into town. Donald Pleasance is in this. He's fantastic as a local doctor. And he seeks to undo this family curse, which is being eaten alive by worms under your skin. And he takes on the investigative duties of a final girl. It's really interesting to watch his character evolve. Yeah, there's some locals who wear flannel, drive trucks. There's like a bunch of meathead characters who just are not cool with women being independent and strong and, uh, you know, just regular members of society. And it really harkens to the witch scares, the, the puritanical witch trials, but also the satanic panic movies right. of the 80s. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's really fantastic. It has a great face melt. If you like face melts, cool. please watch this. Oh, yeah. And yeah, overall, really moody and really rad. Excellent. I'll have to check that out myself. Uh, I haven't watched that one yet, but it sounds incredible. Way up my street. My first recommendation is one that might be a little bit tricky to track down. We're still waiting for an official release, but I'm really hoping that someone like Arrow picks this up for a proper disc. The film I'm talking about is Hopper slash Wells, and the reason it might be tricky to, to pick up is it's essentially deleted footage from the other side of the wind, which is a Netflix release. So maybe Criterion is our best bet for a proper release of this one. But oh my God, watching this, I really did feel like I was in cinematic heaven, cineast heaven. Uh, it features an off-camera Orson Welles talking to a very chill Dennis Hopper on the set of The Other Side of the Wind after Hopper took a break from editing the last movie to make a pilgrimage to the master, possibly because he wanted the last movie to be his Citizen Kane in a way. It didn't quite work out like that. But Wells took the opportunity to try to get him in the film, shooting this conversation and trying to wind him up with leading questions to get some kind of reaction out of Hopper to create conflict for his film. But Hopper's way too stoned to take the bait and it basically turns into a film Twitter thread or a series of letterbox reviews. A Hopper name drops last year in Marinbad, Eight and a Half, La Notte, La Aventura, and Visconti's The Damned, amongst many other movies. And so it kind of appeals in a similar way to Hitchcock, Truffaut, but it's way weirder. There's way more trolling here from Wells. I really love this film. It 
is kind of like watching a podcast video because and with one of the podcast hosts off camera all the time because it's basically Hopper on his own rambling away about cinema but yeah what a rambler and what taste he has it's just a really really fantastic watch so hopefully it'll come out sometime somewhere there is a beautiful cover that someone could just slap on a disc and release it right now but Hopper Wells I recommend it if you can find it it's wonderful. I loved listening to Orson Welles just feed Hopper stuff. Yes. Like he's trying to get a uh, reaction out of him. <laughs> it's so much fun. Yeah, it really is. Like Welles was such a troll, like a genius. I love Orson Welles. I love everything about Orson Welles right across his whole life. Everything he did, I basically admire. But my God, he did love to wind people up and uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> like prank people and trick people and all sorts. But yeah, it's a really, really mesmerizing watch. Uh, Hopper Wells, I recommend it. My last recommendation would also work really well on a Blu-ray and has never really seen any kind of official release beyond the self-released VHS tape. Oh, wow. I think it'd fit really well on the Homegrown Horror box sets where Vinegar Syndrome focuses on a specific area and right, pulls yeah, out yeah. a horror movie from that region and gives it the, the deluxe treatment. The Ghosting from 1992 was filmed in David Lynch's hometown of Spokane, Washington, nice. while Twin Peaks was still on the air. Oh, wow. It was made by a drive-in owner and aspiring William Castle type named Walt Hefner. And he decided to sell his drive-in to make enough money to fund a movie. <laughs> so... He makes a movie for allegedly an obscene amount of money. Like I've heard numbers up to $750,000. I don't know if it's true, but he made this massive movie about a retired military chaplain who owned a church and he witnessed an ax murder of one of the families that goes to his service and, and traumatized. He abandons the church and it stood empty for decades until a family of four in need moved in to care for the property. But the husband has PTSD from Vietnam and their two boys and wife live in constant fear of him. Also, the axe murderer who killed the previous family has escaped from the mental institution. Oh, what are the it's chances? kind of like a Michael Myers style character, like mm-hmm. heat seeking missile for this church and this family. So what you get is this homemade take on The Shining, but with a very surreal and eerie quality. A lot of fun practical effects, a lot of cool lighting, but at 110 minutes, just under two hours, it could stand a brutal hatchet style Mm re-edit because it is just so slow sometimes. But due to lack of distribution, Walt used to sell this self-made film on a self-made label out of a hearse. Oh, wow. Holy shit. But there was a devastating fire in 2017 that destroyed the church that they filmed in and all of the tapes and all of the merch were destroyed in the fire. There are only a couple of known copies out there now. So it is a gem. It's a diamond in the rough, rough around the edges, but with a little bit of love and a remaster and a re-edit, I think this would really blow people away. Amazing. Yeah, I definitely want to see this. And yeah, hopefully Arrow, come on, pick this one up. Pick up Hopper Wells. We're giving you gold here. Um, But one that... Actually, I don't know if it has had a Blu-ray release, but it's on DVD. My next recommendation is an incredible, incredible film uh, called A Moment of Innocence. Now, uh, this one uses a real-life crime as a starting point with the director, Mohsen Mac Malbeth. Actually, he actually stabbed a policeman 
at a protest event as a teenager and he uses this memory as the starting point for for this film which mixes documentary realism with poetic expression it's essentially about a director trying to recreate a turning point moment in his life in an attempt to get some catharsis and so we see him casting himself and the person he needs forgiveness from the policeman who also appears and interacts with the actor playing his younger self. Um, it's very meta, it's very moving, and the way it kind of slowly reveals the causes of the confrontation and the little minute elements that coalesced in order to create this moment that has stayed with everyone involved in the movie, it's really, really powerful. And it ends with, no spoilers, it ends with one of the most impactful freeze frames I've ever seen it's just perfect so yeah a moment of innocence if you can track it down I recommend it very highly beautiful beautiful film all right extra features time we're not going to do the song it's not really a song is it? it's just two men repeating a word but and we don't even have any extra features to deserve the jingle uh instead we're just going to tell you how to find us online shay how can people track you down on the internet people can find me on instagram black underscore v-v-i-d-e-o black video or on facebook yeah i'm also on letterboxd oh yeah what's yeah. your name on letterboxd it's ronnie spectre like specter ghost r-o-n-n-i-e s-p-e-c-t-r-e excellent yeah and i'm just going to ask that you go to patreon.com forward slash vhs quest where if you subscribe at a ten dollar level you'll get a little more flesh and you'll get all the episodes and we're about to approach our 200th film recommendation on vhs quest we're, oh my we're God. approaching episode 50 we do four every episode so there are 200 weird and wonderful films for you to hear all about including phantasm 2 on our most recent episode so yeah just four dollars a month will get you all of those recommendations so that's it for this week unless you've got any final things to say shay oh yeah what are we doing next time sam i think it's gonna be mm, the wolf of wall street okay <laughs> i've just decided that okay so, yeah wolf of wall street next time uh, and until next time thank you so much for listening and we promise to be more professional next time bye-bye goodbye <laughs>